0: Orchard, good morning. good morning. So glad to be back with you. Thank you, Dr. David, for sharing, preaching, and teaching last week. I mean, isn't it's a, we are we have so many um, gifted people at this church? So David, thank you so much. And wherever you are joining us today, whether you are here in the house or you're joining us live online or through a podcast or video later in this week, here's what I know. You ready for this? Nothing I say can do anything to change your life. Do you know that? We, we pray before every service as a team, and we say this, we need the Holy Spirit to take the words that I preach and the songs that they sing and translate it to your hearts. And my goal today, my hope today, my prayer today, is that you will leave this place a different person than walked in. Now, we are stepping outside of our Exodus series because we have some exciting news, some good news next week we're going to announce, and it coincides with Exodus. Today, after having some time off thinking through where we are, I wanted to talk something a little more directional. To add some clarity to some things. To, to talk about some issues that might be difficult for you and for us. And so my prayer today is that you feel zero condemnation, but that we all feel the conviction of the Spirit. That He speaks to us and calls us to change. So with that, I want to tell you a story. When I was in Bible college, sleep became a whole new awakening to me. Do you guys remember going to college, some of you? And, and there was all, all of a sudden there was no parents to tell you. There was no bedtime you, you, I mean, you could put your classes as late as you wanted. You could do whatever you wanted. One thing I noticed the first week of school was these upperclassmen, they completely had blacked out their windows. Zero light in, zero light out. Now, they told me this would let them sleep well past sunrise. And, and me, listening to these aged, wise sages who were seniors, I thought, wow, wow. These are secrets of the universe for college. So I immediately blacked out and double-coated my window. And at that point, a nuclear explosion could have gone off and there would have been no light entering my, me and my roommate would have slept right through it. In our room, there was no day. I would fall asleep and wake up. I didn't know if it was midnight or midday. I had no clue. I lived and slept in darkness with no understanding of the light that was outside. Now, when I was 18, like when you were eighteen, we can kind of laugh at ourselves. If you're eighteen, you can't yet laugh at yourself. You're laughing at us older people, but you'll get there. So but when I I look back at eighteen, I thought it was such a good decision, but now we can laugh and kind of roll our eyes, you know. In college, living and sleeping in the dark while it was light outside, yeah, college thing, not a huge deal. The problem comes when that's where we are spiritually in our lives. Not knowing the light from the dark. And there's a real and growing concern when Jesus' followers are asleep in the dark without an understanding of the light. And today we're going to ask ourselves some very difficult questions because many of us, and I've wrestled with this this week, we are spiritually asleep. God is calling us to step out, wake up, and live a life of purpose and calling in His light. What we need is, is a wake-up call. And we all wake up differently, don't we? Right? Now, I don't want to do a poll, but, but some of you, you when, when the alarm goes off, that's all you need. When the alarm goes off, you're up for good. Actually, is there some of those in here? Yeah, yeah. Now, now here's the next section. Those of you who live your life nine minutes at a time snoozing, and any, any professional snoozers in here? Yeah, and I always love when a snoozer is, is sitting next to their spouse, because then that person just by default is, well, I guess I'm up every nine minutes. And so, and then there's others of, other. I, I know this one guy, he would, and we'd go on these camp trips, and he'd go, what time do you want to wake up tomorrow? I'm like, six o'clock, and he would wake me up at six. He had no clock, no watch, so I began to test him. 5.57, <laughs> and he would say, he'd go, 5.57, go, and somehow he'd wake up. And then there's other people who they wake up every morning without an alarm clock because their kids tell them to wake up, right? See, so we all have, uh, um, we all need a wake-up call. When I was there with my roommate in this blacked-out dorm room, uh, he had two alarms. He had this small little wristwatch that would beep, and he said, you know, it needs to beep for 10 minutes. And then he had the big screech of the alarm clock. And he would explain to me that the tiny beeping watch would slowly raise him from his slumber, this, this, this roommate of mine, bef- so that the clanging of the alarm wouldn't, you know, jolt him. And so while Sleeping Beauty over there was sleeping, through this, um, was sleeping right through this little watch, uh, I woke up as soon as the watch started beeping. And I knew I had 10 minutes of laying there, seething. I don't know if you've seethed for 10 minutes in the morning, it's hard to go back to sleep when you've seethed. I just, just to sum, so here's what we both discovered, my roommate and I, we both soon discovered that while he may be able to sleep through a beeping watch, what he could not sleep through was the hail of objects that I would put next to my bed the night before and fire off into the void toward the beeping. Again, I, there's no light in this room. I don't know where he is or where I am, but wherever the beeping was, I'm just throwing things at him. See, and we were good friends. We're still good friends, but, but friendships and, and marriages are, are tested in the early morning hours, aren't they? It just happens. There's a point here, though. What could be a spiritual wake-up call to you may not be a spiritual wake-up to somebody else. What wakes you from your spiritual slumber might let somebody else sleep right on through it. And this is the challenge of today's message, because, Orchard, we need to wake up spiritually. We need a wake-up call spiritually. God has a divine destiny for each of us, yet many of us are slumbering through based on our indifference to God's ways and our tolerance of our own sin, and so we need to stop sleeping in the darkness when we are called to live and walk in the light. The question is this morning, what will wake you up spiritually? Let's first define what it means to be spiritually awake, because the Bible talks about this. Jesus is the light of the world. He claimed that, and he draws people to himself, to his light. And those who come to Jesus in faith and salvation, he says they become children of the light, who live in his light. Their past is forgiven in light of his grace. In light, he gives them clarity in the present, and wisdom. And in the light of Christ, he illuminates their future and gives them hope. Listen to how Ephesians 5.8 puts this. You were once full of darkness before Jesus, but now you have the light from the Lord. So therefore live as people of light. For this light within you, the Spirit, produces only what is good and right and true. And not, not like that, that, that true, that little T truth, like I've found my truth, but like the capital T God truth, that the Holy Spirit produces what is good, what is right, and what is true. The light of God within us should produce those things. It says we were once all dead in spiritual darkness. We all needed Jesus. And some of us, you're still deciding. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. He claims, he shows us we all need Jesus to walk into his light. And at some point, many of you were raised into spiritual life by believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you're now living in the light to do what pleases him. But at some point, a child of the light can be lulled back into spiritual slumber, by the seduction of sin, and by the indifference to God's way. I am not, I'll be very clear on this, I am not saying that a person who comes to Jesus loses their salvation. Good works and good deeds never earn your salvation, and deeds and works don't lose your salvation. Salvation is a gift of God's grace, not a result of any human behavior. Be very clear on that this morning when I talk about falling asleep spiritually, okay? The Bible talks about spiritual sleepers. The Bible talks, actually, it talks about entire churches. Churches who have fallen asleep spiritually. And the Bible talks about people who claim to follow Jesus. And who, yet it's hard to follow a person. How hard is it to follow a person when you're still asleep? Like, I'll be up at 6 a.m. and we'll start hiking. And at 8 a.m. you're still asleep. You're not following. So here are two main ways we fall asleep spiritually. The two places I think we need a wake-up call. First, by apathy towards God's way of living. That's indifference toward the call he has on your life. Number two, by tolerance of our own sin, which isn't a popular topic. Let's look at these two spiritual sleeping pills. First of all, apathy towards God's way. Did you know that when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't say, his calling wasn't come down the aisle, say a prayer and go on with your life. He didn't preach that message. What he said was, come follow me. That was what he preached. In fact, in John 12, 26, he says, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Like we can't follow, we can't be with Jesus if we're not following Jesus. So we receive Jesus as Savior and then you're therefore called to follow him. We say this week in, week in, week in and week out. (laughs) Not Not just weeks in, weeks out too. We say this, salvation is not the finish line. It's the what? It's the starting line. Salvation is not the finish line of faith, it is the starting line of faith. He leads us into the light, into a destiny of purpose and hope and peace. But what happens if a person stops following? In Matthew 13, 22, it talks about our culture and the things that rob our, wakeless, our, our wakefulness and can lead to slumber. It, and it says these things are the anxieties of this life and the lure of wealth. What this means is, a person awakened to God and his calling, but somewhere along the way, their priorities, they get seduced by the cares of this life, the concerns of this world, and the lure of all the shiny objects that this world holds. In other words, they become more aware, more awakened of the cares of this world. And because of this, they become more unaware or more indifferent to God's way. The cares of this world and the desire for more materialism, have a greater impact on our spiritual life than we know. And this is when our hearts are more concerned with our savings account than our saving grace. This is when our minds are more consumed with our family vacation than our actual family's salvation. This is when our eyes are more focused on politics of earth than the policies of heaven when our ears are more open to the anger at others instead of the cries of the needy, when we are more interested in the fun things we can add on to our life instead of how we can lay down our life for God and for others. You see, we fall asleep to God's reality when we stop investing in eternity that will never fade and instead invest our energy, our time, ourselves into things of this earth that will pass away. There are priorities in heaven that God wants you to prioritize in your life. And indifference moves the divine priorities down the list. So the question is, where have we become more aware and concerned with the world's issues than God's purposes? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength number one priority in your life? Loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength above all things. Is loving people, all people, a priority in your life? You see, we have become increasingly more interested in the world and its culture than heaven in many places, and those priorities can go down the list. Oftentimes, we are spiritually asleep because of apathy to God's way, and the second one, tolerance of our own sin. A person who comes to Jesus and follows him receives forgiveness for their past sins. But, uh, but his, his sacrifice is so great that it's, it's forgiveness for their entire sins, all their sin. We're called to live in, in, in the light and follow him beyond that. But an interesting thing can happen when we don't keep ourselves in his light. We begin to carve out private areas and private sins that others don't know about. Like my dorm room, We darken the windows on certain places of our inner world so that the light of conviction can never get in. And this can happen for a year, this can happen for decades. We need to keep it in the dark so that we can enjoy our pet sins apart from the light of the world. In fact, we can go to work and go to church and and family functions and through life smiling through it all, but in the privacy of our own heart, we protect our pet sins, we darken the windows. And we do not allow the light in. We can sleep away in the dark while the light goes on around us. So we go back to Ephesians 5, where we're called children of light. And it talks about how we tolerate our own sin. In verse 11, it says, it talks to those. It says, don't take part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, bring them to the light. Now that you are in the light, don't fall back into the darkness, it says, Don't be seduced out of the light into sin. Don't retreat back into that old lifestyle. Don't create a private life where no light can get in to hide those things. Don't fall back asleep because of a private tolerated sin. And this last thing, it says, bring those things out into the light. That's where freedom is. And those places that we guard, where we block out the windows, we bring those out into the light where there is grace and there is freedom. Sometimes alarm clocks are so small and so quiet, but sometimes they are bold and loud. And this principle about tolerating our own sin should be a wake up call. It should be an alarming one. The Bible is clear. It's very clear that we're to pursue holy lives. The Bible's clear that character matters. It does. It says that we should confess when we sin and fall, and then we should stand up again and walk in the light after that. It's not not perfection, it's not being sinless. It's walking back in the light, even when we've fallen. It's when we've given up the fight, actually, and we fully give in to our sin that we slumber spiritually. The disciple John, who knew Jesus very well in his book, First John, chapter one, verse five through seven, says this. He goes, This is the message we heard from Jesus. He's like, I was there, I heard the message, and here's what it was. I declare it to you: God is light. And there's no darkness in God at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? Thank God. Praise be to God and thank you, Jesus. If we say we love and follow Jesus, but we live in spiritual darkness, indifference to God's way, tolerating our own sin, it could be that we are lying to ourselves. We're not practicing what he calls the truth. He's called us to. And I just want to be really honest. It's not a matter if we sin. We all sin. It's it's what we do after that. It's what we do in that moment. It's a matter of consistently bringing our sin into the light so we can live in forgiveness and truth. It's important not to grow accustomed to our sin, that your heart gets so calloused that what used to really bother you isn't even a blip on the radar anymore. Notice he finishes the verse off with, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin in the light. In Jesus, because of Jesus, all sin is cleansed. So we bring those dark, hidden places out and surrender them to the God who forgives us. And again, again, I just want to be clear, this message today is not that you feel bad or that you feel condemned. It's to call each of us to the light of conviction. Listen, here's the difference. Remember, condemn- condemnation is from the accuser. Condemnation says you should go farther from God. And there's probably been times in your life where you've dealt with sin, and the primary thing you've felt is, God wants nothing to do with me. Or you've even sat in church and just felt terrible if they only knew. If, oh, God, if he, 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 he's so angry at me. Condemnation is a lie from the accuser to take you farther from God. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit calling you closer to God. Both come, both come when you're in sin. One calls you away from God, one calls you toward God. So which are you feeling today? I want to be very clear, clear at the orchard, we do not speak in terms of condemnation. All of this is in terms that we hear these things and move closer to a God who loves us, who has grace for us, whose son died for us, so that no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it is, no matter all the evidence that the enemy or accuser brings to you, God says, come to me, my son. Come to me, my daughter. There is no condemnation in Christ. Come. There's no frown on my face with crossed arms. There's tears in my eyes and open arms that were opened on the cross for you. So if there is any feeling of that today, may it be conviction to go closer to God in these areas. To all this, Ephesians 5.14, he ends with this. He says, awake, O sleeper. He tells us to rise up. Awake, awake, O sleeper. Wake up spiritually in God's light and may God's light shine in you and through you. Orchard, it is time to awaken from our slumber and live and walk in the light of Christ. Because if we are spiritually asleep, you know what that means? We don't look, we don't behave, we don't seem any different than, than the world around us. Meaning the believer and the unbeliever, the follower and the non-follower are indistinguishable. Because the believer is living a lifestyle just like that. No different. We are called to be a light in the darkness. To illuminate Jesus by how we live and speak. So how can we call those around us to Jesus if we're just like them? How can we shed light on Jesus, illuminating him, if we're not illuminated? In Revelation, the final book of the Bible, Jesus has words for many churches. And he speaks to one church, specifically today we're going to look at, named Sardis. And this is a church who believes in Jesus, they have, but they have grown indifferent to God's ways. They've tolerated their own sin. And it says this in verse uh, 3, Verse one, chapter three verse one. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. He says, you can claim a public reputation that you are alive, but privately, I know your heart. You, you say you follow me. and you, you, have, you go to church and you do these, these certain things, but I, I know, I know your heart, and you're not spiritually awake. He says this in the next, next verse. He says, wake up strengthen what remains whatever it is strengthen what remains for even it what is left is almost dead wake up wake up and strengthen the faith that you still have you say you're a believer and that you know me and follow me it is time to wake up here's how he says to wake up verse three go back to what you heard and believed at first Wake up and go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold it firmly. Repent, which means confess your sin and then turn and go a different direction. Repent and turn to me again. He's imploring you, remember what you heard. Remember what you believed. Remember what you received. Despite what the culture has informed you of since then, remember what you believed and hold tight to it. Remember what you heard at one point about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Remember those things. And even if a culture is, is, has, has worn you down to say, listen, oh yeah, that's a great truth, but there are many ways and many truths. Remember, the, Jesus himself stated, no one goes to the Father but through me. Remember those early things. Remember, my, my, my theme for the year is back to the basics. That's what I'm getting back to this year. And it just, it lines up with this, remember what you first received and hold on to it tightly. Remember what you heard from God. Remember what you learned from, about Jesus, from, about salvation and grace and how your sins really are forgiven and how you really can have freedom and how the Holy Spirit of God really does live inside of you and wants to empower you and give you wisdom. Remember those things. Hold tight to the salvation that Jesus died and rose again. Hold tight to your convictions that his way is the true way. Don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of your convictions. Don't let go of the passion and pursuit. Go back to those things. Repent and turn to me again. And though the culture will call you any number of names or mock your antiquated morality or character, do not let go of the truth that Jesus gave you, that you held on to. Hold on to it tightly. Jesus ends with a warning that's an alarm clock. It's just a statement. It's not much a warning. It's just an alarm clock. He says, but if you don't wake up, which means some people may not, I'm still coming back when you least expect it. (laughs) The alarm will happen. The greatest alarm in the history of the universe. He's returning. We will someday, the entire world, be awakened to the reality that Jesus is king. Because he's coming back as king, not as a baby. The alarm will sound and we will all be awakened to that reality. But until that day, Orchard, what a world of darkness needs most is for the people of God to shine brightest. Someday all things will be made clear. But until that day, may he find his people shining brightly on Jesus and who he is. It's time for the orchard to become fully awake to the reality that that Jesus is the head of this church, of all this movement, and that we live our lives not for ourselves, but for him, just as the Bible taught. That this church, this church will be a beacon to people who need hope and grace and love that this church will not be a spotlight looking for sin. We will be a lighthouse declaring salvation. And you, you get to be the same thing in your life when you leave here, to be a light that illuminates Jesus above all things, that he is the place that, that your friends and neighbors and coworkers and enemies can go to find forgiveness and salvation and help, in their, help for their business, their heart, their life, their, their crisis, that's where they go. And you can shine the light on that. And for you, you can bring your family, your friends, your coworkers, and, and bring them here to this place to hear about a God who loves us so much he gave his life to give us new purpose, unconditional love and their eternity changed. As a church, it's time to awake, oh sleeper. As an individual, it's time to awake, oh sleeper. It's time to wake up, and, and there's, here's some ways we can each wake up today. First of all, we wake up in our character. In some places, we've fallen asleep. We wake up in character. We wake up by basing our character on the content of God's word instead of the culture of the world. We base our character on the content of his word, not the culture of the world, which is constantly shifting throughout history. Isaiah 5.20 tells us, the prophet says, there'll come a day when people will say that things that are evil are actually good. The prophet Isaiah says in 520 that there'll come a day when the things of God that are good people will think they're bad and evil. You see, we need to know what God says is right and true and good. We need to know what God said is light and what God said is darkness. And which means, what does that mean? We need to know his word. If you've been at the, involved in the orchard for any amount of time, you've known my deep love for God's word and how it is a beautiful book that just speaks volumes about his nature. From, from, we've gone from Genesis, we've, we've, we've gone in the, uh, Revelation. I mean, we have skipped all through here. It declares Jesus. It declares God's nature. If anything, I hope you've come to see the Bible is more than this dusty old book that you don't understand, but there's beauty in here and power in here. And so what does it mean? What does this mean? To, we, get, we need to begin to sink our roots into God's word. And that's for you personally. Once a week here in church is not enough that you personally begin to engage in God's word or that you gather some friends in this room or another and you say, listen, uh, let's just start looking at the book of John or whatever it would be and start a Bible study, join a growth group, join one of our Bible studies. Begin to engage in God's word in your personal life beyond this Sunday. So, number one, wake up in our character. Number two, I have to ask you, is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind number one in your life? Jesus said that sums up the entire Bible, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and others as yourself. That's the summary of it all. So the question is, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does this mean? It asks me this week, who is the ultimate authority in my life? What out there or who out there has the greatest influence on me and my character? Because the reality is, whoever has the greatest influence and authority on your heart and character, you're bowing there and that is an idol. So this is a very important question. This is one of the questions. The Bible is clear that we are, if we are bowing to anyone or anything above God, it is an idol, a false god we have given authority to in our lives. Here's some clarifying questions to see where we are on this. What has greater influence in my worldview? Is it my politics or God? Here's a quote that convicted me by Andy Stanley. If someone's political views make their feet too dirty to wash, you can be sure your politics are informing and deforming your faith. If someone's political views make their feet too dirty for you to wash, you can be sure your politics are informing and deforming your faith. Our Savior washed the feet of his betrayer. We should be able to wash the feet of anybody. So who has a greater influence on your worldview, your politics or God's word and him? Who calls the shots in my life, my own desire or God's desires for me? Who has most influence over my heart, my vices or my God? Where do I strive to find my greatest worth? Is it in relationships or is it in my relationship with him? Where am I the most audacious and ambitious? Is it in my business or is it in my spiritual influence? You see, where I'm giving, where I'm giving away influence, I'm, I'm, I'm giving away authority. And where I've given authority, that's where I'm bowing. And for many of us, this is hard. If we find that we have idols of influence above love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we simply ask his forgiveness, adjust our lives, and topple that. So how do we wake up? Wake up in our character, wake up in our priority, and number three, and this, this has defined us for many years. Take risks. Do you remember? In fact, I just talked to a couple last service. Because I said, do you remember when you stood at the end of an aisle waiting for your spouse to either walk toward you or you to walk down to them? Do you remember the emotions of that? There's a couple getting married in five days and they're like, whoa, oh, I'm going I'm to feel that. Do you remember those emotions of your wedding? Do you remember the emotion, this, um, if you're not married, of the cold call to ask that person out? Do they even do that anymore? Or is it like the text and the, I don't even know what they do now, but I remember like dialing a number on a party line and who knows who's listening, you know. Do you remember the emotions, those emotions of risk? Do you, do you remember when you were about to jump out of that airplane? My wife's done that. I refuse. It's a perfectly good, perfectly good airplane. Do you remember when you were getting ready to step up and, and give a toast or give that public speech? Or act on stage. Do you remember when you went out on a limb to, to, to invest something or, or take a chance outside your comfort zone? Do you remember those moments? Do you remember your, what was happening? Your heart was beating, wasn't it? Your breath was a little oh quicker. Your senses were elevated. Your blood was flowing. Your adrenaline was pumping. That is the mark of someone in that moment who's fully alive. Not slumbering. And so what I want us to look at each of you individually, this month, this summer, take risks spiritually. Awake, oh sleeper, to feel your spirit quickened with spiritual adrenaline as you invite your neighbor or a coworker to church, or as you step out and have that conversation about your faith with someone or maybe, maybe you have some spiritual business unfinished, some places God has asked you to do something, and you said no back then, and he's still waiting there for you to step out in faith and give that gift or have that talk. Make that call. Send that text. And, or here's a very easy one for many of us. If you're a Jesus follower, that was step one. Step two, he's very clear, is to be baptized. Baptized. And so many people wonder why step 245 in their Christian walk is difficult when on step two, we said no. And so I know that many people resist baptism because first of all, I have to get up in front of people, perhaps. That's terrifying. That's a spiritual adrenaline, right? That's walking out in faith. That's being fully alive. But also, so there's fear, but there's also pride because it's been so long. Or what are people going to think about me? I want you to awake, oh sleeper. And if that's you, perhaps that's the place where you step out and go, whew, let's feel some spiritual adrenaline. Let's take a risk this summer and let's get baptized. Whatever it would be, I want you to write write this down in your notes or just log it away in your head. What spiritual risks am I going to take this summer? Let's be a church that steps out in boldness. That has marked us in the past. Do you remember when we gave away $50,000 as a church? We went to all those grocery stores and, and I would see many of you, you'd be holding your, your gift card of 100 or 50 and I could tell you were nervous because you're gonna walk up to a stranger and go, God told me to give this to you. Remember, do you remember the feeling? Some of you were like just petrified and terrified and even those of you who weren't, it was like, well, there's a little bit of social etiquette we're breaking here. We were nervous to give away $100. Orchard, we're gonna grow to the place where you can give away your faith. Because $100 might help somebody with a meal. But when you, you begin to share your eternity, that can change somebody else's eternity. That's where we're gonna grow into. So, so what spiritual risks will you take this year? Whatever God would ask of you, a Waco sleeper, step out and take that take spiritual risks. Why? Because it's time. It's time to wake up from the indifference to God's way. It's time to wake up from tolerating our own sin. It's time to wake up from the fear that people might know that I'm a Jesus believer. It's time to wake up from the lie that I have to look just like everyone else and blend in. Because you know why? You are sons and daughters of the most high God. We are called out of sin and out of death to walk a sacred path and follow our Savior. We are indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do great and good things. We have a a, a calling to follow Jesus and live for him. We have a mission. That mission is to take as many people with us to heaven by the time we leave this earth. And we have a purpose to love God and love people. And we have a king, a king above all kings, all authorities, all things here on earth. And our king, he's coming back someday. He's gonna come back. And when he does, may he not find you or me or us the orchard. Asleep. May he find us fully awake. So let's rise up. Let's wake up. Let's be, let's be honest about the places we have darkened the windows of our heart and soul with private sins. Let us be honest about the places and wake up in our character that we have given over authority. We have idols in our life. Let's just wake up and let's, let's be honest about those things. Awake O sleeper. John Wesley, a hero of mine in faith, he says this, <laughs> not literally, light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come for miles to see you burn. What we need is to light ourselves in passion and faith and step out, to be people who stand out in this world, that God would give us a fresh fire. So that's our prayer today. That God would give us a fresh fire where your coals have gone out, that He would stoke those today. It is time to wake up. What is God asking you to do today? Where are the places we need fresh fire and passion?